This week's Escape Pod is brought to you by Contagious, the science fiction thriller from Scott Sigler, available now at bookstores everywhere. Escape Pod 186 January 9th, 2008 Today's story, Chrysalis, by Mary Robinette Cowell. Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. We have a wonderful story for you today with a slight inversion on the aliens integrating into society theme. We're pleased to present Chrysalis by Mary Robinette Cowell. Miss Cowell lives in New York City and she was last year's John W. Campbell Award winner for Best New Writer. Her stories have appeared in Asimov's, Strange Horizons, and other top markets. She's the art director of the stunningly gorgeous online magazine Shimmer. She's read for and guest-hosted our fantasy podcast, Podcastle. And by day, she's a voice actor and a professional puppeteer, which I think is the second coolest job of anyone I've ever met. She's done puppetry for Jim Henson, for the Center for Puppetry Arts here in Atlanta, and runs her own production company, Other Hand Productions. This story first appeared in the magazine Aoife's Kiss, spelled A-O-I-F-E, just like it sounds, in December of 2007. The story is read for us by my dear friend and erstwhile Galactica critic, Cunning Minx, of the Polyamory Weekly Podcast. Every week, Minx presents interviews and insights on, quote, really lascivious things like communication and honesty in relationships. I'm a little biased, but it is a great podcast for anyone who's interested in getting to the heart of all sorts of relationships. You can find her and some entertaining holiday contests at polyweekly.com. So start rolling film. It's story time. Chrysalis by Mary Robinette Kowal. People ask me if I ever get involved with the subjects of my documentaries. I have a difficult time imagining that they would ask my male colleagues the same question, but they seem to expect women to be more emotional. In response, I tend to grit my teeth and answer very patiently with another question. How could I do my job if I were part of the story? Only by maintaining a sacred distance could I have any hope of understanding someone's life. A documentarian records, but does not participate. That mantra was the only thing keeping me from gnawing my arm off with frustration while Garoth and Iliath had their latest spat. Iliath wanted Garoth to undergo chrysalis. Garoth wanted to stave it off until he finished his mathematical treatise. Garoth and his betrothed brayed their points like sea lions mating. Russ, my audio guy, never seemed to get tired of the cries of the Husis. And I'll admit that I loved the way hundreds of supple fingers bristled from the giant grubs' underbellies, expressing their moods as the argument went round in circles. But I'll tell you, some days my job seemed more like a reality show than an aid for retaining the memories that chrysalis enzymes would scramble. In response to Garoth's anger, Iliath reared on her tail like a column of living marble. Her skin was so clear I could see the thousand pulsing veins inside. But when Garoth leapt forward to bark at Iliath, red hairline appeared in the creases of his skin. Gray tinged the flesh around his eyes. It didn't take a Husa doctor to tell that he was overdue for chrysalis. The door to Garoth's suite opened, and I turned the camera to frame it. 
Keo, a lyrically beautiful post-chrysalis Husith, hovered in the door. His long, slender limbs had the grace of a praying mantis. Luminous colors swirled under his exoskeleton. The hundreds of tiny fingers had transformed into gossamer filaments like spun silk. Gorgeous every time, as if he were made for the camera. Garoth turned to the door and barked, What? Keo stiffened his filaments in shock. His golden eyes ignored Russ and me as if we were pieces of furniture. When he saw Iliath, Keo's filaments fell gracefully. He fluted, Greetings, Iliath. I widened the shot to include Iliath as her thousand fingers drooped in response. Greetings, artist Keo. Is my brother ignoring you again? Iliath shook her heavy head, spreading her fingers wide. No, not at all. Ha! Garoth snorted at Iliath. I let distraction enter the room when there is no time. He turned his back on her. I shall make note of this in my journals. You may be certain of that. As if we needed more proof of their disintegrating relationship. But I added a tag to the footage so Garoth could review it later. Iliath's fingers curled in as if Garoth had struck her. What good will it do you if you have no mind after? Garoth's skin rippled as he hissed at Iliath. I make a note of your concern. Keo spread his arms to gather their attention. I have come with wonderful news. I tightened on Keo's face, planning to use him as a foreshadow of Garoth's coming adulthood. Iliath crept forward, clearly willing to let him change the subject. What is it, artist? The council has purchased my latest composition. Ilias stretched to her full height. Wonderful. Please join me for dinner. Keo folded his arms across his body and inclined his head. Giroth snorted. I have much work to do. I am certain you do, but your journal entries need not be solely about work. I reread my larval notes and am saddened by how little pleasure I sought. You loved your work. Did I? Keo spread his arms. It seems loathsome now. Garoth crept closer to him. You were a brilliant mathematician. He tossed a pad on the ground at Keo's feet. I followed his movement with the camera. Good stuff there. Look at what I've done with our work. Keo took a step back. I have no interest. I've come with an invitation for dinner. That is all. Look at it, and I will join you. It will save me the effort of proofreading. No, Keo retreated to the door. I have no time for such larval things. You no longer understand such things. Garoth glared at Keo. Is this what you want for me? I am simply asking you to dinner. Take Iliath, then. She's practically an adult in her thoughts. I have work to do. Please come, Garoth. Iliath placed her tail over his. Nice. For grubs, they were awfully cute when they were in love. I tagged the footage. Garoth looked at the floor and answered with a Husith aphorism. The larva works so the adult can play. Iliath pulled her tail away. Will you ever grow up? She crept to the door where Keo stood. I tracked them in my lens, framing the shot to include all three Husiths and the abandoned notebook. Then Iliath turned to stare into the camera. Vanessa, will you join us? I jerked away from the eyepiece and looked over the barrel of the camera. Iliath held my glaze against every convention of etiquette towards documentarians. 
A flush rushed up my neck, making the entire room seem overheated. Russ's mouth hung open. A documentarian was supposed to record, not participate in the action. Uh, no, thank you. I looked at the floor, mimicking their gesture for apology. How dare she try to engage me in conversation? But I was a professional, and I kept my voice calm. I, too, have work to do. I doubt you understand the damage your work does. Iliad slid out the door, her marble body undulating down the hall. Great exit, if Iliad hadn't breached the fourth wall by talking to the camera, by talking to me. Keo spread his limbs in surrender and exited with a graceful flourish. When the door closed behind Keo, Garas cracked hide shivered like somebody was walking on his grave. He turned to me. You may stop recording. I will work on my treatise this evening. There's no need for more footage of that. Go home. Rest. Russ started stowing his gear. I had a momentary leap of excitement like a child promised a day off from school, but reality snared me. What would I do with an evening off? Are you sure? I promise I will do nothing memorable, Garoth twitched. Besides, you have stationary cameras throughout my home. I don't mind staying. I will make note of your concern. Garoth turned his back on us. If I want to forget this evening, it is my prerogative. At home, I set my bag of gear in the room that had become my editing suite and began downloading the day's footage. Each of the four rooms in my apartment would have housed a family of five back on crowded earth, and at times the emptiness overwhelmed me. That night, I opened the channels to Gras' home and let his activity fill the space while I worked. I fast-forwarded through the day from one relevant point to the next and wrote a summary of each. The hours flowed by like minutes as I lost myself in the process of logging the day's footage. Intercut with these, in my mind, were the flickering images that came in live from Garoth's home. I made a note when Garoth set down his treatise. He stopped in front of his medicine and stared at it for a few minutes, then turned and went to bed without taking his hormone treatment. I had a crazy moment where I wanted to call him to be certain he meant to do that and only stopped myself by focusing on my job to record, not to participate. Briefly, I considered following his lead and going to bed, but the hours continued to unroll. When I finished logging everything, I leaned back in my chair and wiped my eyes. Garas' home, dark and quiet, lulled me into drowsiness. My eyes glazed over as I stared at the screens. Sleep seemed moments away. On the monitor, the outer door of Garas' apartment opened. Ilyath entered the apartment and crept from room to room. I sat forward in my chair as Ilyath picked up Garas' treatise. Breathless, I flicked from camera to camera, tracking Ilyath through the apartment to the kitchen. She glanced furtively around her and buried Garoth's treatise in the compost bin. I stared at the screen, mouth open in a silent cry, as Ilyath snuck out. In my years as a documentarian, I had kept the sacred distance from my subjects, but in that moment, I longed to become part of the action. Garoth's work meant everything to him. Like me... Until I came to Husa, I'd never found another person who lived for their work like I did. But I could do nothing to change Ilyas' action. Garoth would discover it himself when he got up. I turned off the monitors, but I lay in bed for hours staring at the ceiling as my memory replayed Ilyas' actions in a steady montage. The next morning, Russ was leaning outside Garoth's door when I arrived. 
I stepped on the door chime to let Groth know we were there. Russ stretched and grinned. Nothing like a night off, huh? Yeah, I managed to log everything. I had done what I was supposed to do. Worked. I had not interfered. Crazy woman, he shook his head. Maybe I was. Garoth hadn't come to the door yet. He didn't have a meeting this morning, did he? I should have checked his cameras again before I left the house. Nah, Russ ran his hand through his hair and reseated his cap. It's business as usual today. Lots of audio writing and one or two arguments. Dang, never thought I'd miss the days when he was singing love songs to her. Have I played you my rave mix of those? Why did he have to babble? I silently begged Garoth to come to the door. It was hot, Russ chuckled. Might do one from the fights, too. I stepped on the chime again. The door opened, but Iliath blocked the entrance with her body. Your services will not be required today. I craned my neck, trying to see past her. Uh, sorry, Iliath. Garoth hired us, not you. Iliath lowered her head as if she was going to ram me. No, you're tricking him, and I won't let you do it anymore. Look, I'm recording things. I don't talk. I don't judge. I just document. I tightened my grip on the camera and pushed forward. I've recorded in tougher situations than this and was not about to be stared down by a giant maggot. Let me past. The door irised farther open at my touch, but Ilya slammed into my midriff with her head. My stomach felt like it was shoved up through my lungs. My breath wuffed out of me as I staggered back, but I didn't care. I could see past Iliath into Garoth's quarters. Without thinking, I framed the shot. Beyond Iliath, the quarters were a shambled mess. Papers lay over everything. Furniture was upturned, and gossamer webs strung through the room, catching the light in their silk. You're killing him, Iliath wove back and forth menacingly in front of the open door. I wanted to kiss Russ as he turned his gear on. He was a crazy man, but he did good work. Charging forward, we bowled past Iliath. The Husith retreated, hissing and fainting with her head. I pointed the camera at her as if this were an expose instead of a documentary. Where's Garoth? He's out. Keeping the camera on Iliath, I glanced around the room, looking for a clue to Garoth's whereabouts. At my side, Russ focused on the middle distance as he listened to amplified sound over his headset. He tapped me on the arm and pointed to the hall. He must have heard Garoth. Holding the camera steady, I led the way down the hall. As we crept forward, I could hear Husith curses and things breaking. I held the camera in front of me like a shield as we rounded the corner to Garoth's study. He lunged across the room toward us. His skin cracked as if it were about to slough off. I can't find my treatise. I racked the focus when he reared up in front of me. Garoth coughed and a wad of silk clung to his lips. I have to find it. No. Ilias swarmed between them, pushing Garoth back from the camera. You have to undergo chrysalis. He shook his head mulishly. I need my treatise. You'll die. I backed away so I could frame both Husis. In the corner of my vision, Ross adjusted his boom to stay out of the shot. Garoth's fingers bristled. What you're asking me to do is death just as surely. I'm asking you to grow up, Garoth. That's all. But you want to commit suicide over a collection of numbers. He turned his back on her. Chrysalis will end me. I live for my work. Ilyath wrapped her tail around him. Stop your work. I want you to be able to play like any other adult. She turned to the camera. She turned to me. 
You think this documentary will help him after Chrysalis? The longer he puts it off, the less he will remember. Garoth pushed the papers aside as another cough racked his body. The heaves rolled up the length of him and glistening silk clogged his mouth. He spit it in a wad on the table. Please help me find it. Iliath pushed him away from the table. No. Then I will look for it. It would kill him. His body was forcing him to go through chrysalis, and if he continued spitting the silk instead of cocooning himself, the enzymes would dissolve him into a pool of nothing. But my job was to document, not to act. If I did my job right, my inaction would destroy him. Surely Iliath would give in and tell him where the treatise was, but what if she didn't? My sacred distance snapped. I lifted my eye from the camera. I know where it is. Geroth spun. A piece of his skin stayed on the floor. The flesh underneath was red and angry. Where? I said, your compost bin. He grunted and crawled to the kitchen. Ilya's heavy head turned as if she were torn between stopping Garoth and attacking me. She followed Garoth. Russ and I hurried after the pair. With any other documentary, I would have been delighted at this confrontation. It would make a brilliant climax. But my stomach turned at the deadly game the two were playing. Garoth could die. Was his work worth that? In the kitchen, Garoth shoved the compost aside, burrowing into it until he found the papers of his treatise. He dragged it out of the pile, brushing the dirt from it with his fingers. Sobbing coughs racked his body. He flipped through the pages desperately, and his breath eased as he read. But silk still hung from his lips. Garoth turned to Iliath. You did this! Beloved, I... Her fingers vibrated so quickly their edges blurred with emotion. Our betrothal is ended. But Garoth, go! He turned the length of his back on her. I followed her with the camera as Iliath crept to the door. Garoth said, stop recording her. I want you to edit her out of my documentary. Ilias stopped at the door. No, beloved, you will not exist to me. I still held the camera on Ilias, my fingers frozen. What had I done? Garoth barked, turn it off. I nearly dropped the camera. I had changed events by speaking. Russ shuffled his feet next to me. Ilias crept out the door. The room was silent except for Garoth's labored breathing. I stared at him. Now I was part of the scene, but my role was unclear. A wave of coughing racked Garoth's body. As he spit silk onto the floor, I realized why he had not taken his medicine. You finished your treatise last night, didn't you? Yes. Garoth coughed again. He held the pages in his trembling fingers. I thought I had lost it. I thought the chrysalis enzymes were already stealing my mind, but it was Ilyath who stole it. He looked at me. You gave it back to me. He held the pages out to me. Will you take it to the university for me? I looked at the pages without an intervening lens. He was trusting me with his life's work. I'm honored by your trust. Garoth gazed at me as I took the pages from him. I meant what I said about Ilioth. I do not want her mentioned in the final cut. But what if you have memories of her afterwards? Some small part of my brain still screamed that I should not get involved. Ilioth betrayed me. I thought of the months of footage leading up to this moment. It would be a lie. She loves you. I, I don't think she knew you had finished. 
Garoth writhed in indecision. Russ met my gaze over Garoth's head. His eyes were wide. I was in the scene fully, but he still stood outside it. I hesitated, wondering if I could step back out of the scene. Then I placed my hands on either side of Garoth's face. You'll regret it later. He barked a sardonic laugh. Not if I don't remember. When Garoth's cocoon showed signs of opening, I found myself in a warm, dry room surrounded by the lyric figures of adult Husus and their white larvae. In the center of the dim chamber lay a misshapen cocoon. Garoth's cocoon was not the smooth, egg-like enclosure that sheltered most Husus as enzymes restructured their bodies for adulthood. His was gray and patched with bandages holding it together. I longed for my camera as the cocoon rocked, but the documentary was finished. The Husses around me gathered their breath almost as one when the first feeble limb tore an opening in the cocoon. At that signal, the attendants rushed forward and pulled the fibers apart, letting the damp, gasping form struggle out. As the warm air hardened his exoskeleton, Garoth, I stopped myself and mentally edited out the last two sounds of his larval name, Giro, began to assume some of the beauty of his brethren. Keo knelt in front of him to create the first impression on Garo's adult mind. It should have been Iliath. Garo, welcome to your adulthood. I am Keo, your brother. Garo focused on his brother and nodded. Keo, I remember you. One by one, the Husis came forward, saying their names, reminding him of how he knew them. To each, he gave the ritual reply. I remember you. Then, feeling truly alien, my turn came. Kneeling in front of a being different from the Garoth I had known, I said, I'm Vanessa, your documentarian. Vanessa. He cocked his head, and I willed myself to see recognition in his unfathomable golden eyes. I remember you. I wanted to ask him what else he remembered, but my turn was over. I was at the door when I heard Iliath. I am Iliath. We were betrothed. I turned, my mental focus racking in for a close shot. Ilias' marble flesh had grayed with the approach of her own chrysalis. Her fingers trembled in anticipation. Ilias. Jero cocked his head as if the camera had shifted to slow motion. I remember you. He turned, seeming to look for something he was missing. Keo leaned in and whispered the correct response. Giro turned to Ilias. Sit by my side, beloved. As Iliath inclined to his side, I had to put my hand on the door to steady myself. He did not remember the fight. My eyes misted, making the room look as if a diffusion filter had been placed over the lens. I needed to switch the documentaries. Turning, I went to the memory room. I had done as Garoth had asked and edited Iliath out of the documentary that was in the projector now. I pulled that reel out of the projector and stuffed it into my pocket as Garou walked into the room. Attendants supported him while his hardwired instincts taught him to walk. I loaded the new reel while Iliath settled next to Garou. As if in apprehension, Iliath looked behind her at the projection booth. I hit the play button and the second documentary I had made began to roll. On the screen, Garoth worked on his treatise while Ilias supported him, their love unfolded frame by frame, disturbed only briefly by fights and anger. Standing outside the story, it was easy to see their love. 
I watched, imprinting the moment in my memory, as Garo pulled Iliath close. The sacred distance is gone. You're standing outside my story. Can you tell? Have I done good work? And that was our story. I don't mind telling you, I was pretty moved by this piece. I've had the experience before, I think a lot of us have, uh, feeling like I have the observer role in the spheres I've traveled in. Everyone around has their story going on, their drama, and sometimes the loneliest place to be is in a crowd. Some of us become writers for that reason. The ethical dilemma in this story, get involved or keep observing, is a real one, and it's not always simple. I don't have any clever answers or insights on it, just a lot of respect for a really hard question asked well. And speaking of tough situations, the plot of Contagious, Scott Sigler's new sequel to Infected, is a great example of ratcheting up the intensity. You've heard me rave about the first book. Well, Perry Dossie's back. The Triangles are back. They've adapted. They've developed new tricks. But he can still hear the voices. He knows how to find them. And they're more scared of him than he is of them. Until... Well, I don't want to give spoilers. I'll just say there's a turn in the middle of the book that blew my mind. Sigler's a high-octane writer, but he's a very intelligent writer. And he writes characters that respond to bad situations like human beings would respond. Some stupidly, some with incredible courage, and some do things you totally wouldn't expect. If you followed his free podcast novels, you've seen him getting more and more ambitious, and Contagious is a sophisticated, satisfying follow-up to my favorite Sigler book. You can also get it as a free podcast at scottsigler.net, but it's worth buying if you don't want to wait. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated, and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. All of the rights are reserved by our authors. If you like this week's story, please do tell a friend, or blog about us, or shoot your own documentary with your reactions. That is sort of what YouTube is, isn't it? If you really liked it, please consider making a donation via our PayPal link at escapepod.org so that we can continue to pay our authors. Also check out our horror podcast, Pseudopod, and our fantasy podcast, Podcastle, both at their .orgs. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation comes from Alfred Hitchcock, who said, In feature films, the director is God. In documentary films, God is the director. We'll see you next week. Until then, have fun. And that's a wrap.